Hello? Hey, Rich, it's Larson. You got a minute? Sure, Larson. What's up? Hello and welcome to the Got a Minute podcast. It's uh, me, Larson Hicks. I'm joined with, uh, joined by, what, how, what's the what's the wording of that? Joined by, that just doesn't sound right for some reason. Uh, <laughs> joining me. All right, I'm joined with, joining me. Okay, joining me on the podcast. Okay, I'll start over because that was brutal. Joining me on the podcast. There it is. Uh, hello and welcome to the Got a Minute podcast. I'm Larson Hicks and I am joined uh, by uh, Pastor Rich Lusk down in Birmingham. I'm doing How great, you doing, Larson. Good to be with you after a long hiatus. <laughs> I know it's been a long hiatus. I took a I took a leave of absence, sabbatical kind of thing uh, from church, and and was asked uh, you know to like fully take take the time off and and put the podcast aside for a minute. So that's been good. It's been like I don't know six weeks or so since that uh, since that happened and so and you and i have just been running and gunning you've been marrying kids off and and i'm I'm shipping kids off to college and family vacations and just kind of been crazy Busy so time. i'm i'm really pumped that we're back yeah. back great, in great it. yeah you. yeah yeah rich um well i'm i'm uh broadcasting from my friend uh so this background is my friend um Mike Church up in Moscow, Idaho, he's got a, a business called Kestrel Realty, and uh, he's got a podcast and, a, and kind of a podcast studio in the basement. So I was about to set up my stuff and record this in, uh, in the hotel um, that I'm staying at. I'm in Moscow because I'm dropping my son off for college at New St. Andrews. Um, but yeah, he was kind enough to let me use a setup. I've got like fancy lighting, which is weird. Um, I, I'm like sweating. So, you know, this is like a much nicer set up for me um so we're don't expect that we're going to keep it at this level uh or you know we'll be back in my my uh, office at home with like homeschool books on the back shelf <laughs> here soon um well this this uh this week uh rich i wanted to pick your brain on this topic of kind of generally um conspiracy theories specifically we were you and I kind of got got to thinking about anti-Semitism and this this trend that I've seen um, in 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 this. I don't know if I'd say it's in the CREC as much as it's kind of CREC adjacent, but there's definitely you know there's just people in the kind of conservative Christian uh, sphere that um, I feel like I'm hearing more and more people uh, being kind of taken in by uh, these 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 kind of a lot of them pretty out there, you know, conspiracy theories, Holocaust deniers, and a lot of stuff about UFOs right now, and, and uh, you know, um, Bigfoot even, <laughs> you know, and like, but there's, but there's a, but, but, you know, um, you've got the, you know, the, the flat earthers, you know, like that's, that got a, like, I can't believe that got such, so much traction, but it totally did uh, the contrail stuff, you know, I mean, I, I could probably rattle off another 20 of these. Um, just seems like there's so many out there, and it seems like um, I don't get why the people in our circles who I think are generally, like, tuned in, you know, to what's going on in the world, why is it that they're falling for this stuff so much? Like, why why are they being taken in by this stuff, and, and, and is there... Is there a, is there something we can do about it? Is there something we can you know? Is there some sort of paradigm that we can 
or heuristic we can use to try to gauge like what what do we uh, what's legitimate uh, and 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 what is what is something that's out there that we should yeah that's, stay that's away really from. good I mean I, I think so, you are putting your finger on something that is happening now I would say I have not really seen this uh, so much in my circles like the buying into uh, yeah. all the conspiracy theories that are out there or. Uh, especially the yeah. anti-Semitism thing. I have not seen that, although I've seen it in some, I, I, I've certainly seen it uh, on occasion on the yeah. right and been uh, disgusted by it. Haven't really seen it in, you know, in, yeah. in the circles that I'm in denominationally or otherwise. But uh, I do think it's something to be aware of. And I think there's several different things going on. And I think yeah. we really should probably, for the purposes of discussion, separate these things out somewhat. Various conspiracy theories, yeah. the anti-Semitism questions. So let me, let me talk about the conspiracy theory issue first, and then we'll come back yeah. to the anti-Semitism issue, because that's one that I think deserves its own treatment. I think part of what's happening yeah. is uh, with COVID, uh, you know, basically all of the experts were lying to us, and there was a lot of propaganda. There was a lot of yeah. suppression of even discussion. So if you did not buy into the mainstream yeah. narrative that Pfizer and the mainstream media wanted you to believe about the origin of COVID or about the vaccine, if you had a different opinion on any of those things, uh, your, your opinion was yep. suppressed. It might mean that you get canceled. There was this really hard pushback. And of course, now, and, and, and I would say people who are questioning the, the, the COVID origins narrative, people who are, who are, who are raising questions about the, um, the vaccine, I would say that in a, lot, in a lot of ways, their concerns, the questions they raise, their pushback has been entirely vindicated. Even those who pushed this totally. have basically come around and said, well, we need COVID amnesty for those people who, you know, pushed for the lockdowns and forced the vaccine. And, and, and totally. you know, obviously uh, that means that if, if you were right about that and the experts were wrong, well, then you might go looking for other areas where the experts are wrong and, right. and you're right. And, yeah. and so, That's right. but not all conspiracy theories are created equal. Not all conspiracies have, have validity right. to them. Not, not all uh, propaganda is equal. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, just going back to COVID, it's it like if you go if you went back to my my Facebook page, uh, you know, right when all this stuff was taken off, like I was I was sounding the alarm like crazy, you know. And and I'm I am totally not. I think people who know me would say Larson's not the guy who's always on about different conspiracy theories. But there was something about that thing that was very clearly wrong to me. Um, all of my spidey senses were going off that this is crazy. The reaction of this is, isn't there. I was, all of us were glued to our screens, watching the news just in a total panic. And I was doing my best to find any sources anywhere who could give me real honest data. And it was like, I couldn't find it, you know? And it was like, this is concerning, you know, this is concerning that there's not any true honest data. I'm seeing a lot of, uh, numbers that are, that are, um, that are disingenuous. And so anyway, you know, I, I don't, I'm interested because I imagine you were in the same boat that, that during that time you were looking at it going, something's, something's up here. This is really weird. I didn't have a conspiracy theory about, you know, all the powers, all the machinations of the, you know, the global elites that were trying to reduce population or shut down our economy or whatever. I, I certainly, I certainly think there were a lot of different people, that benefited in various ways from this thing. And people kind of capitalized on this opportunity in, in various ways that were potentially nefarious, but, but, um, 
but I didn't feel like a conspiracy theorist during that time. Um, I felt like I was a, I was just a citizen who was trying to point at some real obvious stuff. Um, but that's, you're right that right now I think everybody who was throwing shade at the vaccines and at the, all this stuff is feeling vindicated yeah. all of a sudden and, uh, and sort of emboldened uh, in some ways to, to, to double down on, on all the other conspiracy right. theories right. that they've been. Well, I think everything in. has to be taken on a case by, by case basis. I don't think you can say because mm-hmm. the mainstream media got the, got the COVID narrative wrong, therefore everything else they say is false. Yeah. That doesn't follow. You have to take these things on, on yeah. a case by case basis. Yeah. What struck, there were several things about COVID that made me suspicious and I won't go into all of them here because they've been well documented elsewhere. It's probably yeah. the same for me as anybody else. Sure. But there, there were several things. One is alternative opinions being silenced yeah. Uh, in, in a heavy-handed kind of yeah. way, that made me suspicious. It's like truth is never afraid of discussion. Yeah. Uh, so when I, why not let the discussion yeah. play out? The fact that the people who are raising questions about different aspects of COVID, particularly like what will the effect of the lockdowns be or um, are, yeah. are masks really effective or has the vaccine really been thoroughly right. vetted the way that something needs to be before you push it on the population and, and all that. Right. If, if you, there were so many people out there doing really good work, blowing holes in this. And so if you, if you did the research, if you yep. dug into this, then you could actually see, okay, they're making a really reasoned argument. And actually, I think the reason they're being suppressed is right. because actually they're, they're raising really good questions. And it seems it like you've right. got a lot of yeah. facts on their yeah. side. And, so, and of course, then you had some people even within the medical establishment. I'm thinking of like uh, Scott Atlas and Robert Malone who came out and were, mm-hmm. I thought, very articulate. Mm-hmm. They were not the only ones, but they were very articulate and pushing back. And so so I was very yeah. impressed with that. And that, that carried a lot of weight with me. And so that's why I, I couldn't buy in totally to this. But but here's the thing. When that started to happen, you would have memes. You, you would have memes out there that would say things like um, – what do you, you know, what should you say to your conspiracy theorist friend? And the answer is, you know, mm-hmm. sorry, you were right. <laughs> okay. Well, the thing is, they right. might have been right, right in right. questioning the COVID narrative, but that doesn't mean that questioning everything that's out there uh, is, is wise. You know, again, you have right. to take these things on a case-by-case basis because what I have seen happen is that people who question the COVID narrative because they were right about that and the experts were wrong, they jumped from that to say, well, it looks like the experts are just wrong. The ex- what, else, what else are they lying about? And right. we can't trust them. And so right. then you jump from that to be – you actually become gullible for a different kind of propaganda yeah. that comes from another source. And I, and I do think that's been something right. that has happened. I think people who are not real discerning um, – I think have, you know, have fallen for some things. And so that's something that, uh, again, as I said, these, these, these kinds of things have to be taken on a case by case basis. You can't make global universal statements about the experts or about the conspiracy theories. Right. Well, and, and I think, I think what, um, I mean, I've heard, I've heard interviews or, or quotes from Rush Limbaugh, you know, talking about, about the massive business, uh, of, of, of planting fear, you know, um, stoking fears, uh, within a, yeah, fear cells. And, and so, you know, again, you don't have to, you don't have to believe in any particular conspiracy to realize conspiracy theories themselves are, are a big business. Uh, people like Alex Jones or, or fill in the blank, you know, they, they, um, they garner a lot of excitement because it becomes emotional. You know, it goes from being, um, 
you know, honest inquiry, reasoned inquiry uh, from concerned people to, to this kind of uh, this panic and this, and this fervor, you know, that, that people get worked up into. And if you can kind of keep people there, um, they'll just keep tuning in and keep shelling, you know, shelling out for whatever you're, you're selling. And, and, uh, and so I, I do think that, that, that a, a whole segment of people, um, you know, kind of got into this. And, and like you said, I think the established, uh, sources of truth, media, the academy, you know, um, churches even, um, unfortunately, um, you know, companies, big, big companies, so many of these companies just, uh, or these organizations, these groups, these, these sources of authority in our society, um, really let their guard down and just drop the ball and, and, and undermine their credibility. And so now there's this void, uh, there's this void for a lot of people whose heads are spinning. They're going, I thought I could trust all these different sources and now I'm, I don't know if I can trust any of them. So where do I go? And you just kind of start going down the rabbit hole. Um, you know, I mean the Academy, I I've been, I've been reading articles and listening to podcasts for years about the, the failure of, uh, the peer mm-hmm. review process of, of, you know, the, the replication crisis in, in, uh, across specialties with like something like, uh, all these studies were done. Like this was like 10 years ago, but all these studies were done, uh, showing that, um, like fewer than, uh, I think it was fewer than 40% of, uh, peer reviewed, uh, studies, uh, replicated, you know, it was like, nobody's actually, nobody's actually doing the work of, of science, uh, you know, across fields. Um, it's just become kind of a big business. So I've had these, you know, the, the, the I've had these concerns with all of this stuff, uh, for a long time. So it wasn't, wasn't a, a, a wild shock to me. Um, but I think it was a lot more of a shock for a lot of people. And that's left them kind of, uh, like you said, gullible, you know, vulnerable. Um, and, and they're just kind of looking for a, a source of, uh, yeah, of yeah. I think you're exactly right. Uh, I think, I think one thing that happens too, is there's a sort of, um, Gnostic craving to know, to have inside knowledge that yeah. nobody else has. And, and that's all, that could be totally. a hard temptation to resist, to, to think that, you know, you've got some yeah. special kind of insight or you're part of a group that's got some kind of special insight that most of the people don't have. Uh, yeah. and, and that is a, a form of Gnosticism, really, uh, especially because usually this knowledge is not yeah. really validated in any kind of way. Uh, so I think that's another thing that can make people right. very vulnerable to falling for the next thing. So, so again, totally. I would say use discernment. The, the well, experts do lie to us often. I mean, we know that. We see that. Politicians lie all the time. The mainstream media lies all the time. But separating out the you know, fact from fiction. And it's okay also at times to just say, I don't know. You know, I don't know. I don't have enough information. There are a lot of situations in life where we are so reliant on other people uh, and we may not know who to trust. We just have to say, I don't know. Uh, I don't know all the ins and outs of of all kinds of things out there, uh, you know, to to the point where I would be able to come to a really firm and dogmatic conclusion. And you say, you have to be able to say, I don't know about a lot of things. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. The, the whole social media culture that we live in today, you know, with, with Twitter, I feel like, especially there's this need to to give a hot take on everything in the news cycle, you know, be out there first with some sort of hot take. And, um, 
And I mean, we just saw this. I mean, in our little circles, the Canon Press, you know, Canon Press just published the George Gilder book, and somebody somebody grabs a couple pages from the book that says things like feminine sexual superiority or something, and it's like it. This wasn't people who have read the book and are interacting with it in any intelligent way or have ever listened to anything George Gilder's ever said. They just read a couple things and go, I got to get out there with my hot take because I'm going to get all this attention. I'm going to get all these likes and these comments and, and that, and that just feeds this, uh, whatever this, this, uh, dopamine, uh, sort of addiction that we've, that, that, that social media has cultivated in our culture where we want to, we want to be first to say something cool we want to be the one that posted it and everyone else shared it and commented on it. And so, and so we're going to say it. And then as soon as you say it, you kind of back yourself into this corner where you've, you've kind of got to stick with your guns. You know, you've kind of, you've got this confirmation bias thing where you've gone out publicly and state made a statement about this thing. And now you're going to dig your heels in because now you've started internet fights and, uh, and you're so right, Rich. It's like, what about just waiting two weeks you know, just wait two weeks to comment on it. If you're going to comment, yeah, maybe yeah, read the book. Like, it is very obvious. Read the book. A lot of the, which, God, I mean, you know, I'm not saying Gilder's above critique. In fact, you know what, Larson, I think this needs to be the topic sure, of our next podcast of course. we can talk about. Uh, yeah. Because honestly, for sure. me, it's a little bit nostalgia to see this book uh, you know, republished. Yeah. I mean, I, I first read it actually, I think it was about 1993 yeah. or so. I was in college and, and a mentor of mine. Uh, put the book in my hands and we read through it together. And actually a lot of the criticisms, I think legitimate criticisms that have been made of Gilder, you know, the mentor that walked me through that book, he made some of those criticisms or corrections then. It's not that yeah. the book is, is above criticism, right. but there is so much in the book yeah. that is of great value. And I do, I, I've noticed this right. too. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm not really super active on social media, but I did notice this the last couple of weeks. Uh, I mean, I got interested in it because I've been a Gilder fan for a long, long time. And, and there were yeah. a lot of people who obviously have not read the book, who are doing exactly what you described, taking a few snippets here and there, responding to it in a way that clearly shows they've made no effort to understand it. So even if they had a critique, they're right. not offering a critique. They're just reacting negatively. And yeah, and, right. and, and you kind of live in this echo chamber. So then a lot of people reaffirm, you know, affirm you in right. that. And so then you think, oh, yes, I must be on the right track. And you never really get to hear right. um, a, a, a better, deeper, maybe wiser view of things that would bring, you know, bring you to greater maturity. So totally. That's unfortunate. Totally. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's so funny. I mean, it, it, it's, you know, you and I have talked about uh, what is it? Eggs, eggs yeah. are expensive. They have sperm is cheap. Like, 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 like just a lot of the, the even Jordan Peterson. I mean, there's 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 all these people outside of the church, you know, for last couple decades who have been thinking about feminism and thinking about its origins and and making really great solid observations. And uh, and Gilder's one of those people. You know, Gilder's, uh, you know, my view a national treasure. I mean, the guy's a, a brilliant Absolutely. brilliant man has done so much good work for the, and that's the other thing. I mean, that's, that's the other thing about our, our culture is like everyone's an expert and, and what are your credentials? Well, you have an opinion. That's your, that's your credential for being an expert. Right. And, and, uh, and, and then every, it, there's like this, the egalitarian thing, you know, in our society, like, like we think about that a lot of times with, with respect to, to, to gender roles. Right. But, but it also, I see it more pronounced in the fact that there is no, Hierarchy. There's no, in our there's no class str stratification, whatever you want to call that. There's no sense that 
there are some people who deserve my respect who if they're in the room I should stand up or if they're in the room I should shut up and let them talk because they're uh, – someone just told me a story yesterday about um, some economist took uh, uh, Milton Friedman to, to lunch and, uh, and, uh, and afterwards picked up the tab. And, uh, and after, after, after he paid the bill, he said, look, look, uh, Milton Friedman, uh, maybe there is such thing as a free lunch, right? And he said, that wasn't free. I had to listen to you the whole time. <laughs> You gotta love it. It's like with a sense it's of humor like, because it is a dismal science. <laughs> right. 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 But it's like if you got Milton Friedman at the table and you're I mean you're talking, I like you are a fool. Like you should shut your mouth and let that man talk, you know? Ask him questions. But yeah, it's just like that's the world we live in is um, everyone's an expert. There's no sense that that anybody, a pastor or a scholar, deserves any respect. But it comes back to what we're talking about, you know, it's like there is no, we don't know who to who to respect and who to trust, and so it's all become flat. And so now anybody with a microphone or a computer or a Twitter account can get out there and and if, if their take is hot enough, interesting enough, worded cleverly enough, it's going to get all kinds of traction, and that that somehow translates to credibility. You know, like well, this got a lot of likes, so this must be something that a lot of people agree with. Um, and, um, well, and here we are, you know, with, to, with, to, to kind of pick up on your economic, you know, you're using uh, an, an economist just a moment ago to sort of pick up on that thread. The, yeah. the question always is what is being incentivized and what is being penalized? And so when it comes to social media, what is incentivized mm -hmm. and what is penalized? I can tell you yeah. that all kinds of salacious imagery is incentivized on social media. So you get more and more of yeah. it, say on Instagram, um, yeah. careful thought versus hot takes, like, you know, mm -hmm. careful analysis versus yeah. uh, immediate uh, emotional reactions to something. Well, it's that immediate reaction that gets incentivized and, and the careful thought out response to something gets really penalized. It, it gets largely ignored in social media. So, yeah, yeah so, and that's obviously not everybody who's on social media, but that's the general trend. And so you get more and more of this and it just kind of snowballs. And that's why I sometimes wonder if social media is not, uh, this is going to be the biggest disaster we've ever seen for our society. I know. Well, there's, I think there's also, uh, there, there, so there's kind of a cocktail of, of different influences, you know, that I think, I, I think kind of, you know, you get the right combination and I think it becomes more and more potential, uh, potentially dangerous. And, and one of those is like kind of the worldview thinking mindset, right? I mean, there's, a, there's, there's been great, uh, people, you know, for for hundreds of years, who have been advocating this idea of you know, taking every thought captive and 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 really uh, applying the lordship to Christ to every aspect of life and having a a, a full orbed, you know, Christian worldview. Great, right? Um, but there, but there is this this um, this weird kind of uh, tweak uh, on that thinking that that someone who buys into that concept uh, thinks, well, there is. Therefore, there must be a Christian, you know, TM, you know, uh, official Christian position on absolutely everything at every time. So, so, so you're getting out there wanting to know and wanting to confidently um, represent, you know, the what what what's our position on this one, guys? Like, what's the Christian worldview position on this? Um, where where you and I know 
I mean, there's not a single topic under the sun where wise, God-fearing scholars of all stripes are going to disagree, are, are, are going to completely agree 100%. You know, there's not a official position. But I think there's kind of this, the worldview thing, the homeschool thing, the classical Christian thing. I think there's a lot of people who who um, think, well, if I just if I just teach all my, my kids all the correct positions on all the things, that's going to equip them to be able to think about everything. Um, and I, and, and it's not a, it doesn't work that way. Like you, what a good education is trying to do is instill, um, first and foremost, humility, you know, this humility that there are so many great thinkers out there and, and woe is me before I say anything, I should go out and sit at the feet of the masters to hear what they have to say about it, you know? Um, but you add to that, I think, I, I mentioned earlier, I think post-millennialism, you know, um, I'm a post-millennial uh, guy. I, I believe I have an optimistic view of the future uh, for the planet. Um, but, you know, there again, you've got this right now, again, I think kind of in our in our little circles, you've got this... Um, this this uh, ethos of like we're going to take over everything, you know. Uh, we're going to take over government. We're going to take over business. We're going to take over media. And I'm like, on the one hand, great, yeah, that's a good that's a good thing to aspire towards. Um, but how you know how is pretty important. How how do you take well, over everything, right? And how did Christ <laughs> take over, right? Yeah, it's by serving, uh, by loving, uh, by growing in wisdom, and a lot of times that means starting at a low level and working your way up, you know, you don't, yeah. don't go run Sit for president if you don't even know how to run a small town yeah. or a county, you know, kind of thing. So, yeah. Absolutely. And, and I think you're right Absolutely. about worldview thinking. I'm, I'm all in favor of, of Christian worldview thinking. And I think it has done a lot of good. Of course. And all you have to do is be around somebody who rejects it for a while to see why it's so necessary. So I, I completely agree with that. I think the kind of work yes. that say Cornelius Van Til and those in his train of thought or even yeah. Francis Schaeffer did, I mean, very helpful. But I do think yeah. there is a tendency in some Christian circles for worldview to become a substitute for wisdom when really we need both. Yeah. Worldview works great when you're That's dealing right. with really black and white kinds of issues in you know yeah. social issues, cultural yeah. issues, moral issues, that kind of thing. But we need wisdom to deal with a lot of aspects of life and culture that are not so black and white or that just have additional layers right. of right. complexity. Uh, and, and so I think sometimes right. we focus so much in certain Christian circles on worldview to the neglect of wisdom that it actually becomes counterproductive. Right. And we actually end up with this overly simplified, right. overly simplistic view of the world and of reality. And it can actually be dangerous. Uh, so, so I think that yeah. there has got to be, um, we, we've got to do both. We've got to pursue Christian worldview thinking and think yeah. about what a Christian philosophy might look like. But then we've also got to pursue wisdom, which means paying close attention to the details of the biblical text. But also it means careful observation of the world that God made and not just in your sort of limited sphere, but right. across the centuries. I mean, there, there's a lot of accumulated wisdom right. that builds up over the generations. And, and sadly, in a culture that rejects tradition and that refuses to yeah. honor elders, a lot of that wisdom, accumulated yeah. wisdom, is going to be lost. Right. Well, and, and, I mean, you said it a few minutes ago. I, I think the, the thing that Christians need to practice and get really good at saying is, is I don't know. 
and, and also, I don't care. And that's a wonderful response. It is. <laughs> it's a it wonderful is, yeah. position to take on so many things. You know what? I am not interested in that. Um, uh, you know, there's, there's a, I feel like a lot of our conversations, you know, sort of run like a, um, like a, like a news program, you know, where it's like, let's just, let's talk about current events. Let's just slide through all these conversations, you know, these topics, and let's just make these kind of sort of, um, hot take sort of statements that are, that are, uh, kind of juicy and let's just fly on to the next one. And, and I'm just going to, in the course of a 20 minute conversation, I'm going to, I'm going to assert my position on, you know, 15 different topics of world, you know, news and, and never once in that conversation, is there any interest or effort made towards nuanced thinking, you know, um, and, and I think that's a thing. Like when you dive into any topic, like if you really dive into it in an academic kind of setting, you realize that things, everything is very, very complicated. And there, and, and if you're going to carefully think about it, it's going to take a lot of work and a lot of reading and a lot of trying to understand other people. And, um, and if you're not committed to doing that about fill in the blank topic, then you should probably say, you know, I don't know that I care enough to do the work to have a position on this. So I'm just going to say, I don't really know. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. That's you good. Know? Uh, I think you're exactly right. You want to, you want to move into uh, anti-Semitism as a particular ca- yeah. case study of some of this? Yeah. I mean, we had, so, so as a, just to kind of set the table a little bit, we had, um, um, you know, we, we saw uh, last summer, I think it was white boy summer was kind of a thing. Hashtag white boy summer. And, and, and there was some weird racism stuff in there. It was kind of like, you know, if the if the world gets to be proud about being gay or gets to be proud about being a minority or whatever, then we're going to go ahead and be proud about being white. Doing, Christians and doing their like, version of what the world does is always a great recipe, isn't it? Yeah, great <laughs> recipe. Yeah, yeah, right. Exactly. It's hey, like let's doing just identity start politics. Um, let's try it ourselves. Let's. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. It's like this is a, a really stupid idea, uh, which which of course was stupid is stupid has led to stupid stuff um and 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 again you get people that 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 jump on the bandwagon the white boy summer bandwagon and then find themselves digging their heels in to try to defend it well you know i I was kind of doing it because i thought it'd be cool and funny and get some attention but now i'm here and i've got to now back up my position instead of saying i was just being a i was just being a stupid sheep you know and 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 trying to get likes on social media or be controversial on social media, I should, I don't really care about this and I don't really believe this stuff, you know, but instead it's like you dig in your heels and you start trying to justify it and find the people who are making the most interesting, you know, uh, statements about it. So anyway, we saw that we kind of talked and taught about it at, at church. Uh, and then, and then recently we've seen, I've seen, uh, not just in the Protestant world, I've seen a lot in the Catholic world, like, like E. Michael Jones, you know, has, has, has done a lot of talking about, about Jews and the Jewish revolutionary spirit. And I've seen people, again, run with some of that stuff um, out to the end without really maybe even understanding his arguments uh, very well. They just kind of see a general idea, Jews are bad or something. And, um, and so, yeah, we, we uh, uh, Jason Cherry at church a, a, few, um, a few weeks ago, preached uh one of his sermon application points was don't be anti-semitic like 
you don't have biblical grounds for being anti-Semitic. Um, and, uh, and we happened to have someone visiting the church that day who, who cornered Jason and, and for like an hour and a half, it was like a potluck Sunday, just was arguing with him about, about how Jews really are the source of all of the problems in Western yeah, society. Yeah, and I think you that's know, badly misguided like, in terms of uh, how we look at, at things. Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll say a few things yeah. about this. First of all, anti-Semitism yeah. does pop up in various places. Okay, I, I think there's actually more anti-Semitism on the left than on the right. Uh, in America. And I mm. think you, I mean, I could point to various ways in which you see that in terms of how the Palestinian question is understood and whatnot. I think it's a bigger problem on the left than on the right. So we'll say that. But, but it has popped up uh, in yep. what is sometimes called the alt-right uh, or, or the secular right, which I think is, is still very fringe. But, uh, you know, again, yeah. if you're already suspicious of mainstream culture, you're open to all kinds of fringe things. And again, yeah. some things on the fringe are really right and wise. Okay. I mean, you know, saving sex for mm -hmm. marriage is kind of fringe, right? But I'd say that's good. Um, but anti-Semitism is could be yeah. considered fringe too, and it's <laughs> it's really bad. But it's important, I think, to understand why right. it's bad and why it happens. I think some anti-Semitism is actually just driven by envy. Doug Wilson made the point one time, and I don't even remember where this mm -hmm. was, but I thought it was it was a it was a smart point. He said the thing about the Jews is they are, and this this was his terminology that I really liked. He said they are they are a high performance yeah. people. And I think that's right. They are, yeah. just, we can just say genetically right. speaking, culturally speaking, they're gifted people. That's not to say there aren't other gifted people yeah. groups and whatnot, but I mean, they obviously are. And, and that's why they tend to excel whatever whatever they do. They've also had to deal with being right. marginalized, which uh, in some ways has pushed them to be excellent just as a matter of survival. They've had to be, they've had to have, for example, sure. a strong ethnic identity, a strong countercultural identity, mm -hmm. strong fa family identity and strong family ties just to survive because they right. have endured a lot of hostility right. uh, in, you know, within Western right. civilization. That, that's certainly been the case. Um, and then also there's the fact that mm -hmm. um, they, they do have Torah and to some degree you will get some kind of external adherence to Torah, at least among some Jewish groups. And I think that also helps just like sure. when secular Japan adheres to certain, you know, biblical principles or when Mormons, you know, even though they obviously yeah, have the substance that. of it, they're just, they're just mimicking or aping certain outward aspects of biblical law. But, but I, Proverbs tells us, I mean, whether sure. you're a believer or not, uh, the, the world works a certain way. God's creation, God's designed creation to operate in a certain way. And if you live according to the way God made yep. the world, things will go better for you than if you rebel against the way God made the world. And that's true for everybody. Absolutely. Obviously, as Christians, we should excel in living accord in accordance with the divine design. But non-Christians sometimes right. um, do that to some degree as well. And I think therein lies the appeal of somebody like, say, a Jordan Peterson, who uh, can dole out a lot of advice mm -hmm. that's quasi-biblical to young men. And so you can mm -hmm. have some men who don't yep. have faith in Jesus, but their lives go better than they would otherwise because they have uh, adopted certain patterns of life or ways of thinking about the world that correspond more to reality than their, you know, than other non-Christians yep. have. But here, here, so, so here's the thing. They're high performance totally. people. So when they are doing something mm. that is virtuous or productive, they really tend to excel at it. But when yep. they do something evil, they really yep. tend to excel at that too. So they tend to produce more noble 
right. Peace Prize winners, they tend to produce more, uh, say, wonderful musicians and composers and violinists. But then yeah. they can also produce a lot of people who do really evil things in politics or in Hollywood right. or what have you. And again, it's just because wherever they go, they tend right. to rise to the top because of their work ethic and, and so forth. Yeah. So so that that's one thing that has to be dealt yeah. with. And I do think that sometimes the anti-Semitism is driven by a kind of uh, envy on the part of other people groups who look at the Jews and want to know, well, why have they had so much success? Why are they so wealthy? Why are they prosperous? Why are they, they at the top mm -hmm. of the banking industry mm -hmm. or this industry or or that field? And right. and so I think envy is a piece of it. I also think there's a, there's a theological misunderstanding yeah, sure. that we have to deal with here. And some of this has been injected into uh, American history with dispensationalism and, and what has sometimes been called yeah. Zionism, especially since Israel uh, became a, sta you know, a geopolitical state again in 1948. I think that created right. a lot of confusion. Is this somehow related to Bible prophecy? Does this mean the fulfillment of Bible prophecy? Yeah, people thought, oh, well, then within 40 mm -hmm. years, mm -hmm. that must mean the second coming of Jesus or some other big prophetic event. Um, this, this is what I would say about that whole issue. It is true that in the New Testament, the Jews become opponents of Jesus. And of course, with the Romans, and this is important to, to, to note, Jews and Gentiles, and you want to talk about a conspiracy theory, Jews and Gentiles conspire together to put Jesus on the cross. Jews and Gentiles cooperate in the crucifixion of Jesus. So they stand for all of humanity. Okay, so, so all of humanity joins together in crucifying Jesus, represented by the Jews of the day and the Gentiles of the day. And you see that in the gospel accounts very clearly as Jesus is sort of passed back and forth between Pilate, the Roman governor of Judea, and say Herod, who is... Uh, you know, who's, who's claiming to be yeah. the, the king of Israel, all of that. So, so that, that's really important to understand. The, the Jews, as the covenant people of God, in crucifying Jesus and in rejecting the Messiah God sent them, did come under a special curse. They had a special covenant relationship with God, and that meant special blessing if they were obedient, but it also meant special curse if they were disobedient. And Jesus yeah. pronounces that curse on Israel. And if you go through the Gospels and you look at what Jesus has to say about this generation, say in Matthew 23, where he says, all the blood from righteous Abel down to Zechariah, you know, who was the last martyr of the old covenant. And then, of course, Jesus himself. So you've got from Abel, the first martyr, down to yep. the last martyr of the old covenant. And then Jesus himself. Right. The vengeance for all of that blood that has been shed will fall on that generation of Jews. Uh, Jesus curses a fig tree uh, because it has not borne fruit. Yeah. Uh, and obviously the fig tree there symbolizes Israel. Um, Jesus had many other things to say about that generation that then existed, that generation of Jews. Just take a concordance, you know, look up the word generation and you'll see it again and again and again. He does not say race. Some people have tried to say the word genea means race. No, it means a people living at roughly the same time. And in the Bible, a generation is about 40 years mm. long. Jesus pronounces that curse on Israel, let's say roughly 30 AD. Uh, in 70 AD, 40 years later, so that would be a generation, the temple in Jerusalem is destroyed. Yep. And Jesus gave very specific warnings about that event, a very detailed prophecy of everything that would lead up to it. And he even told his disciples shortly before he was crucified, not one stone of this temple will be left upon another. The disciples were amazed at the building of the temple and how glorious it was. And Jesus says, not one stone will be left upon another. In other words, the temple will be destroyed. And that yeah. prompted them to ask the question where he gives this detailed prophecy and he says, all these things will come upon this generation. So that's, that's the New Testament framework for understanding this. 
After 70 AD, there's no special curse on, on Israel. There's no special curse on the Jews. It gets exhausted then and there. And after 70 AD, it does not matter whether you're Jew or Gentile. What matters whether, is whether you are Christian or not Christian. So there are certain things that um, were in effect up until 70 AD. So, so when the Apostle Paul went into a town, he would go to the synagogue first, to the Jews first, and then to the Gentiles. I don't think mm -hmm. any Christian missionary has to do that today. There, there's no special yeah. priority that Jews are given in evangelization because they're not God's covenant people any longer. Okay, Romans right. 11. Think about Romans 11. It's the, it's the olive tree of the covenant. The unbelieving branches were broken out. They're not on the tree mm -hmm. anymore. So they mm -hmm. got broken out in mass in the first century. Now, there were a lot of Jews mm -hmm. who believed and who stayed on the tree. Uh, and mm -hmm. the thing is, their Christian identity eventually swallowed up their Jewish identity. I'm not saying there's no, you know, that there aren't uh, ethnic Jews who are also Christians, but I'm just saying in general, sure. they came to identify themselves as Christian more than Jewish. And that was that. Uh, yep. So, so there's no there's no special relationship that the Jewish people have uh, with God anymore, whether for mm -hmm. blessing or for curse after 70 AD. That's the key thing to understand. They're just another yeah. people group. Now, there are people who, in Romans 11, when you come to the the end of that passage, and Paul says, "For all Israel will be saved," there are people who take that as that's what happened in 70 AD. All the Israelites of the first generation that God wanted to save, they were saved, and that that's mm -hmm. incorporated with the Gentiles. That's all Israel there. And there are others who say that's future. There's some future conversion of the Jews that is to come uh, at the last day, and maybe even at the end, kind of to cap history off yeah. because. Uh, you know, the Gentiles will be so, the Gentile Christians will be so prosperous that will provoke, I talked about being envious of the Jews, that'll provoke mm -hmm. the Jews to jealousy and they'll convert. Uh, I don't, I, I don't think you have to read it that way. Whether you take a yeah. preterist or a futurist reading of Romans 11, it really doesn't matter all that much to this question. Because if right. you're, if you're, if you're a post-millennialist and you think that all nations are going to be discipled, well, that's going to include the Jews, whether they're the last to be discipled or somewhere else in that, in that process. They're one more people group right. that needs, needs evangelizing, needs converting, needs discipling. Uh, so, so that, that I think is a really crucial thing to understand, but there's a lot mm -hmm. of confusion, especially because of dispensationalism over the Jewish yeah. people and whether or not we say, oh, the Jewish people in Israel, you know, the, the, the geopolitical state of Israel, some kind of special treatment. And if mm -hmm. treating them in a special way will somehow bring us the blessing that God promised in Genesis 12, I'd say no. I'd say they need mm -hmm. to be treated like any other nation. We should, yeah. we should ally with them or not, depending on how much that serves our interests as a nation, the same way we would with any other country. Frankly, yeah. there's a lot about modern day Israel to not like. They really don't allow Christian yeah. evangelization over there. Uh, it's a very secularized, um, yep. pro uh, LGBTQ society. Of course, that sounds a lot like our society, but still, they they do have some things in common with us culturally, just because of their yep. the, the you know, their various connections there that have created some cultural synergy. Um, yep. They have obviously a, maybe a more um, American-like form of government compared to other Middle Eastern nations, but there's no particular reason why we should be allies with them unconditionally. There's no theological reason for that yeah. any more than there would be for any other nation. So again, how yeah. much we ally ourselves with them, I think, is, a, is just a question of wisdom and, and, um, and really kind of a pragmatic question, the same way it would be for any other nation. And that is important because we have president after president after president who singles yeah. out Israel and says we have to adopt this particular foreign policy because of our relationship. 
right. you know, because of their special relationship with God. And if you don't do that, you are considered anti-Semitic. I think that's right. crazy. That's not what anti-Semitism is. Anti-Semitism yeah. is a racial prejudice or ethnic prejudice uh, against the Jews. That would be sinful. But that doesn't require us to give them some kind of special uh, preferred right. treatment uh, as a name. Well, and, 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 you know, you've got the, so you've got the, the Christian sort of, uh, premillennial kind of bias towards, uh, treating them differently. Um, and then you've got, you mentioned that there are high performance people, um, which is just objectively true. Um, you know, if you're, if you're paying attention, I mean, that's, if you read the conspiracies, the conspiracies will, will reinforce that fact. Yeah. They're controlling a lot of things, media and, and government. And, and yes, it's true that when you, you know, uh, you see a man who is skillful <laughs> in his work, he will stand before kings. You know, this is a proverb. Uh, you know, if you have people who are high-performance lawyers, high-performance media, whatever, high-performance, whatever it is they're doing, yeah, they're going to have a greater influence on politics uh, and on, on, on different things, on the culture, than uh, the rest of us. You know, the charge is not let's let's uh there, there must be something nefarious going on and let's and let's try to root it out and expose it um the charge should be let's let's do that <laughs> like let's mm-hmm. have the kind of mm-hmm. skill and virtue that lends itself to it, but but again it's it, you know there it's there's also this, this laziness um we want to grasp again kind of coming back to the post millennial thing like we want to grasp for that power and that influence now we want it now uh, but we haven't done the work. You haven't done the work, you know, culturally to earn uh, the right to rule. You know, we don't, we don't have the right to rule because we don't know how to take care of ourselves. You know, we don't have that. And it's like if we actually believe Scripture, uh, if we believe the Proverbs, um, then, then, yeah, what do, you, what do you think having a couple thousand year head start as a culture uh, adhering to Torah, like what do you think that's going to do for, for a people? Like, of course, if we believe this stuff, then we would we would agree. Like, of course, this people, this people group is going to have a huge head start. You know, on you know, our, my ancestors not too long ago were you know painting their faces blue and and raiding you know raiding villages. You know, it's like like I'm not very far removed from that. You know, and so I'm starting in a different place. You and I, you know, probably are starting from a different place. You know, if you just look at it from a, a big picture historical perspective, then than than Jewish people are. Um, and that is an advantage. It's a real advantage. Yeah. Uh, you know, but thank God we have, we've, we've got access to Torah. We've got access to the law and to the gospel and, and, and our, we get to raise our kids up in it and, and, and start to see, uh, that have its effect on our uh, culture as well. The one other thing I would say, and I think all that's right. The one other thing I would say is that anti-Semitism like any other form of quote unquote racism is a form of identity politics. Yeah. And because it is a form of identity politics, it's going to automatically end up catering to the left, even if it comes from the right. Uh, mm. it's, it's going to create that dynamic and it's going to be counterproductive and destructive to anything yeah. that the church wants to do. Uh, identity yeah. politics is always destructive because it's always divisive and it always makes the mission of the church that much harder. It creates more to overcome. So think about this. Think about how difficult it is for Christians to 
um, you know, in some cases, say, evangelize, evangelize blacks, for example, because of the yeah. history of racial animosity. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So you, you do. So any people group that you antagonize in this kind of way, mm-hmm. if that's even remotely associated with Christians, then it becomes that much more difficult for us to carry out the mission that God has given to us. So yeah. I think I think any form of, of identity politics is really a violation of love your neighbor as yourself. And, yeah. and that and, and, and that's true of its identity politics in the form of feminism, which is gender identity yeah. politics. It's true of its LGBTQ identity politics. It's true of its uh, white yeah. black identity politics, BLM identity politics. It's true yeah. of its anti-Semitism. Any form of identity yeah. politics makes what we are called to do as Christians much more difficult. Yeah. It just gives us one more obstacle to the gospel we have to overcome. Well, you're right. You're right. And, 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 and I mean, I, I think we've got to keep just doubling down on, I mean, it, I find it so funny that the left is obsessed with race and, and we're, we're constantly saying this is your, your, your calling wolf, you know, crying wolf about, um, that there's no racism, you know, here, it's this boogeyman that you're, that you're pursuing. And then at the same time, here I am a conservative Christian trying to t- tell our, our constituency guys, stop being racist like this this is racism there there's no other way to because i mean that's one of the questions you got to ask what do you mean by jewish who are jews like who who are you talking about you know are you talking about just people who adhere to torah you know are you talking about people that ethnically have jewish you know uh uh, blood like um and and it it it, there's really no way to escape the fact that we're just talking about a, a uh, blood. We're talking about DNA. You know, we're talking about people who have some Jewish blood in them. Because because half of the people we're talking about, uh, the anti-Semites are 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 talking about people that aren't even practicing Jews in any real way anymore. Right. Anyway, you know. And so it's like, um, I think the other thing, Rich, I, just this all brings up for me. I, I've been reading. Uh, I love uh, Rene Girard. I've I've read a lot of Rene Girard over the years, and. Um, I just recently picked picked up some of his stuff again, um, and man, uh, if if you haven't dug into Rene Girard, uh, he he explains this kind of phenomenon really he does. really well. He really does. Um, yeah. And this is this is a this mimetic contagion, you know this 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 um, this force in a society uh, uh, to to deal with the tension. You know, I would say it's the tension that's that's brought about through sin, through unreconciled sin um but this this tension builds in a society and and the old the old solution uh since since abel was to kill someone you know to kill someone find a scapegoat so uh you know gerard would say you know um that was this actually that that kill that 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 murder of uh of abel um by cain was really the establishment of 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 civilization you know uh, that's built on this kind of mimetic um uh violence and and what happened was jesus you fast forward this this phenomenon worked you had you had tension you had disagreement you had you had uh this stuff starting to boil over you found a a scapegoat a victim you killed him and you you put all the problems on that person and and it worked it worked It, it it had this cathartic effect and it kind of reset things and everybody kind of, okay, we dealt with it. You know, we dealt with the problems. Now it's gone. Um, that worked for, for centuries until Christ came. And for the first time, you have a truly innocent victim. 
and the story, uh, the 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 myth, you know, if you want to if you want to try to put it in that same category of the kind of founding story, actually identifies with the victim. You know, mm-hmm. instead of the victim being uh, a, an actual uh, 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 scapegoat, it, it, we actually realize this this victim was truly innocent and exposed this mechanism. But you see this this mimesis, this mimetic um, contagion spreading. It does spread in the in the Jewish community, but it also but 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 it also spreads to to even Christ's disciples. So Peter is denied. You know, Peter, you know, of all the disciples, is is swept up in this uh, in this conspiracy against Jesus. Right, uh, the the whole the whole Jewish community uh, and and Roman uh, folks got swept into it. Like, let's just kill this guy and that'll deal with it. And even Jesus is, you know, one of his closest uh, disciples, he gets swept up in it and he denies Jesus and joins the crowd basically. Um, And I think the point of that story in scripture is to show us uh, not that Peter was such a failure, but to show this is such a powerful force in the world, you know, that, that even, somebody like uh, one of the apostles could get swept up in it. Mm. Um, and, and so I think we need to see that mechanism at work in the world around us uh, because it's, it is ultimately satanic, I believe. Um, it's this, this Satan is the accuser. This is the work that Satan does in the world. Um, and, the, and, and the work of the Holy Spirit is the comforter. He is the advocate. He, he's the paraclete. Um, and that's the work of, of, of Christians is, is we're, we're coming to comfort, to defend, to protect, to, um, to cover sin, you know, uh, to take responsibility, uh, for sin. Um, and, uh, and, um, and so when we start to see the teeming masses getting riled up about, I mean, we see it with Trump. I mean, Trump is like the, the. We talk about Trump derangement syndrome. You know, I mean, he is, that's mimetic. That's this mimetic thing uh, where a society wants to just put, you, you talk to some of these Trump, anti-Trumpers, and, and it's like, he's almost a supernatural, like, I mean, they've, they've elevated Trump to, like, he, is, he has way more power uh, than, than, like, a god. You know, they want to kill him because they think he is actually causing all of the evils in the world. It's all Trump, you know? And I think us on the other side of it look at it and go, you guys are crazy. What's wrong with you people? And it's like, but, but, but we'll, we'll turn around and do the same thing. We'll, it'll be either with Biden or it'll be with, with in, this, in, the, in this example for the podcast, uh, Jews, you know, it's like, okay, they must be the problem. And I just think we need to see it and go, um, expo- you know, Christ came in, in large part to expose that mechanism so that the church... Um, would would not be taken in by it. Yeah, Christ was the only and really last legitimate scapegoat who really could bear the sins of the people and then bring peace. Yeah. Uh, when I started out talking about how anti-Semitism is really driven by envy, that's really a Girardian point. Yeah. Uh, I, so because he does quite a bit with that. Yeah, I think all that's right. Here's one other thing to think about as we wrap this up. 
Um, sometimes Jews have been uh, treated in a hostile way because they've been accused of being Christ killers. You know, down to the mm-hmm. present day, they're viewed yeah. as Christ killers. That was even in the med- medieval period. That was a common accusation around the time of the Holocaust. That was when mm-hmm. charge was brought against the Jewish people. They're, they don't deserve to live because they're Christ killers. Uh, which, yeah. I mean, the, you know, the Nazi party had nothing to do with Christianity in the sense that it was, I mean, that's not, there's nothing Christian about it, certainly. But yeah. there were people who were able to get on board with this because, uh, well, for this very reason. Um, yep. You know, so you really can't be anti-Semitic and be a Christian because Jesus himself was a Jew. And if you are a Christian, that means that by faith you have been incorporated into Jesus, which means you're now Jewish yourself. You've been united to him. So to be anti-Semitic yeah. would sort of be, you know, <laughs> it's spiritually suicidal at that point, because how can you have Jesus as your savior if you, That's right. you, know, if you despise Jewish people? Uh, the whole yeah. point is that in the whole Bible, all the authors of the Bible into Jesus. And those are the true Jews. Okay. That, that's actually what yeah. Paul says. The true Jews are those right. who, you know, who are incorporated into Jesus, united to him yeah. and, and therefore, you know, walk yeah. in the spirit and keep his law and all that. But, but there's yeah. a lot of interesting, just interesting contradictions I've noticed. For example, the same people who might want to hold contemporary Jews guilty of something that their supposed ancestor did 2000 years ago, which again, this is even a question is who actually has mm-hmm. Abrahamic blood in their veins. The Jewish people was never uh, a, um, a strictly genetic thing because even right. when they, even when the Israelites came out of slavery in Egypt, they brought with them a mixed multitude that were incorporated in during those 40 years of wandering in the wilderness, which was kind of a typological foreshadowing of what would happen in 30 and 70 AD, where Jew and Gentile were incorporated together, you know, into one people, Jews in a mixed multitude brought together as one in Jesus. So, So it was never about that. There were always outsiders coming in, always um, blood-borne Jews being cut out. So the principle that Paul talks about in Romans 11 was not brand new with the mm-hmm. new covenant. Ruth is an example of a wild yeah. branch that gets grafted in, even under the old creation. Yeah. So that, that was always happening. But here's the thing. You have people who want to hold contemporary Jews guilty of something that they did 2,000 years ago, supposedly, even though Jesus said that the judgment for that would fall in 70 AD. They want to continue to hold that over Jews. But then if you were to turn around and say, well, what about reparations for, for example, slaves that your ancestors held? Oh, no, we can't mm-hmm. have reparations. I'm not guilty of that. I, you know, I didn't have anything to do with that. Mm-hmm. Well, it's, 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 it's just it's not logical. Double standard. I, I don't yeah. think we can hold uh, generations guilty of sins they haven't committed. It would be wrong right. for me to punish your children, Larson, for sins you committed that they don't repeat right. themselves. Just like it'd be wrong for somebody right. to punish my children for sins they didn't commit that I did yeah. commit. Uh, that we, that's just not just. Uh, whatever kind of covenantal link or covenantal connection there is, it does not mean that you can punish yeah. uh, people for the sins that their ancestors committed. So yeah. that that's just a principle that as Christians we don't we don't buy into. Uh, so, but for whatever reason, anti-Semitism becomes a kind of exception where people want to hold the Jews accountable for something that they did many, 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 many generations ago. It's just not mm-hmm. right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and so, so it's, it's yeah, not it's right good. covenantally. It's not right theologically. You, you can critique it from all kinds. You know, it's not right, you know, in all kinds of ways. Yeah. You can critique it from a number of different a- angles, but uh, it's, it's, it's problematic. Well, I, it, uh, there's a lot of different angles here. And I think we've tried to kind of we've tried to kind of um, bounce around and, and look at this through different lenses, the Girardian lens and the. And, and these other lenses, I, I think, um, you know, the, the underlying uh, takeaway here is, you know, there, there is a, you know, the, don't, don't be, 
don't be taken in by the you know they call it dark patterns you know the 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 social media machine is kind of designed to stimulate uh engagement through hot takes and controversies and arguments and debates and so uh it, don't be taken in by that you know don't be taken in by this kind of a sloppy kind of sensational news cycle kind of uh, approach to to everything um having a Christian worldview doesn't mean you, you have a informed opinion on everything. Um, it is, it is good and okay for us to say, I don't know. It's good and okay for us to say, I don't care. Um, it's good. It's good. Okay. To say, you know, I I haven't done the research, so I can't really say, um, it's a great thing to say. I'm going to defer to my pastor on that one. You know, uh, like I, I don't understand it, but I'm under, I'm under authority, you know, I'm under the authority and the teaching. I've submitted myself to the authority and the teaching of my pastor, my, you know, my, the leadership of my church. And if they think this is something I need to be concerned about, then I, I will, I will do something about it, you know, but, but I don't, I'm not hearing anything from them. Um, and, uh, and, and I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna sweat it. Um, so yeah, I think, I think there's a lot of, a lot, lot of other things to say here. You know, the, the, the mimetic thing, I mean, that's, that's, a, that's a whole episode probably. Um, but, but he's, you know, he, he does talk about how the, one of the side effects of Christ, <clears throat> he didn't come to bring a sword, or he didn't come to bring peace but a sword. It's like this violent mimetic thing, it actually got worse after Christ because um, it's been exposed, and so it's almost been diluted. The effect of it's been diluted because now, we as a society identify with the, the, the innocent victim, and we no longer are able to to just be convinced that the victim was 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 the source of problems. So, so the dosage has to be increased. So instead of there being a scapegoat, we now it requires us to scapegoat an entire people group. So you have the the bourgeoisie and Marxism, right? And you have you have the 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 identity politics stuff that we've been talking about. You have anti-Semitism. You start to instead of instead of us being able to 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 satisfy kind of the mass the 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 tension of the masses through a single sacrifice, we now need to see a whole people group wiped out or a whole class of people uh, taken down a peg. Um, and it's yeah, it's all in Gerard uh, this this stuff. Um, and and yeah, we just got to be got to be on guard against this stuff. That's great. Yeah, that's good. We should do we should do well, more on Gerard sometime too, but we need to get the oh Gilder. Man. We need to get the Gilder. Yeah, let's do it. Okay, so I I got an assignment. I got I got to do some reading. I you know I've listened to I've listened to podcasts with Gilder. I've I've listened to uh, um, I think I've listened to him give some talks, um, and I've I've read articles, but I I haven't actually read uh, his book. So I'll I'll tackle that, and then uh, we can have an informed discussion about about good. Gilder. Awesome. Hey, Rich, it's good to be back with you. That's great. Thank uh, you, Marshall. Yeah. yeah. I hope that, that we can keep the, the pace coming here. I know that uh, we've, got, we've got a fan or two that would like to, to see more episodes from us. So, um, so yeah, thanks for, thanks for sticking with us. Uh, those of you who have been waiting for however many months it's been since we've, we've done one of these, but we'll, uh, we'll try to get back on the horse. Sounds good. All right, man. Have a great rest of your day. The God a Minute podcast is a ministry of Trinity Reformed Church in Huntsville, Alabama. If you like this podcast, you might enjoy one of our other podcasts, The Good Life Podcast. 
featuring Matt Carpenter interviewing experts in their field about how their work contributes to the good life.